2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 gives a glorious promise. It says this. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's quite a promise. So this evening I thought we'd look at a fantastic passage full of promise, which explores what it means to have our hearts fully committed to him. When you first read Isaiah 58, it can sound a bit severe, can't it? Because in reality, the Lord was bringing a serious rebuke to Israel. But that rebuke was to open them up to the possibility of receiving the fullness of his promise. And the promises in this passage are absolutely breathtaking. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at Israel's problem. We're going to look at what, Israel, what God was looking for. And we're going to look at what God was offering. Firstly, the problem. So if you look down to verse... Two. Day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what's right and had not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near to them. They were doing the right things outwardly. They were praying. They were reading the scriptures. They were even fasting. They, they looked like they were really seeking God. But there was a tell. There were some things that showed that things were not as they really seemed. Their apparent sincerity in seeking God was betrayed by the way they were treating each other in the community. They were doing things they should not have been doing. You do as you please and exploit all your workers. There's quarrelling and strife, striking each other, breaking the Sabbath, doing as you please on my holy day, the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger, malicious talk. So they were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, but they also weren't doing things that they should have been doing. Loose the chains of injustice, untie the yoke, to set the oppressed free. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor and wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe him. Do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. So the things that they should have been doing that they weren't doing. Traditionally, I think I said the other day, we, call the, we used to call these the sins of commission and the sins of Omission. It's great, isn't it? The sins of commission and the sins of omission. The sins that we do, where we do things that we shouldn't be doing, and the sins where we don't do what we should be doing. Israel's outward religion was betrayed by the way they were treating each other. And so their rituals were empty. Meaningless. Outward conformity rather than from the heart. And here is a very serious 
a very depressing and a very sobering reality. In the spiritual life, it is entirely possible to be incredibly faithful to all the spiritual disciplines, the outward forms, the prayer, the Bible study, the church commitment, the giving, and so on, and yet for it to benefit us precisely, <sighs> nothing. All that work, all that hardship and suffering and studying and seeking for nothing. The practices of the spiritual life are not about earning rewards from God. They are about entering into the heart of God. To practice the outward forms of religion but to fail to connect with God is to fail, is to miss the whole point for the forms in the first place. So Israel come to God and they complain. Things aren't working. Why have they why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? They were fasting. That was, that was hardcore. Why was nothing happening? Lord, we're doing our bit. Why aren't you doing your bit? When we asked, when Jesus was asked what was the most important thing in the law, he answered to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Now, of course, everyone loves a lawyer, don't they? So the lawyer came up and said... Who exactly is my neighbour? And his response was the parable of the Good Samaritan. To love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, is to enter into the heart of God. And if we do that, then his heart becomes our heart. And his heart is the heart of that so loved this world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So this extraordinary, this unfathomable, this bottomless love of God flows out to a lost and a broken and a hurting and a dying world in love. So if we're loving God... And if our spiritual practice is a means to help us love God with all that we are, then his heart is reproduced in us. And we spend ourselves bringing God's compassion to the world around us. But if we're doing all the spiritual practices and our attitude towards those around us is like Israel in this passage, then that shows that all our professed love of God is just a facade. God is not going to indulge our pretending, our game playing. You know, sometimes God doesn't seem real to us. You've had that experience that you're going through, you're doing this stuff and God just doesn't seem to be real. And the problem normally is not that God's not real, the problem is that we're not real. We're not being honest with him. We're saying, look at me, God, I'm over here. Meet me over here. But I'm not over there at all. I'm actually over here. So at the heart of the spiritual life must be honesty, must be authenticity. You've got to be real with God if God is going to seem real to us. And the purpose of prayer 
is to connect our heart with his heart. The purpose of reading the Bible is that his mind starts to shape our mind. The purpose of fasting is to learn discipline in seeking him. The purpose of worship is to contemplate him and give ourselves to him in response. The purpose of mission is to share in his love for the world around us. The purpose of giving is to enter into his extravagant generosity. The spiritual disciplines are nothing magical. They don't do anything or get us anything from God. What they do is they allow us to share in his heart and to enter into his life and to strengthen our living connection to him, to enter into his heart and to allow his heart to pour through us and to flow out into the world. So if we'll pursue God in that way, if we'll open ourselves up to his love and his will, if we'll allow his love to flow through our church, to our families, to our neighbourhoods, to the world, then suddenly all the promises in this passage are opened up to us. And they are so extraordinary, I thought it would be fun to read them together. Just to hear them resonating inside our own heads. Let's read verse 8 and then 9 down to here am I. So reading from verse 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. Amen. Jump down to the second half of verse 10 where it says, Then your light. And let's read 10, 11, and 12. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. My goodness. There's some promises there, aren't there? Wouldn't it be fun to try them out and see if they're true? How could we do that? Firstly, it means a commitment to seeking God, not to get a certain outcome from him, but to seek him on his own terms, with an open mind about what he might do. If we truly seek God, God will move. His eyes range over the whole earth 
to strengthen those whose hearts are fully connected to him. If the Lord moves, things change. Heaven help us if things don't change spiritually very drastically in this country. But he is Lord, and so to seek him means to let him be the Lord. And so that's an exercise in trust, in faith. Do we really believe he's good? Do we really believe he knows best, even when we can't see where it's all going? Secondly, first it means to seek him. Secondly, it means to seek him together. And to seek him together means we've got to deal with those things that stop us seeking him together. And so that requires forgiveness and grace and humility. What matters is loving him and loving each other. And so that, what doesn't matter so much is getting our own way. What doesn't matter so much is having everything just as we want it. What doesn't matter so much is finding the easy road. If we're going to test out these promises, there's no room for nursing grudges or having favourites or wanting to assert ourselves over everyone else. One of the great challenges in the spiritual life, which I do not like, is having to get over myself. It's a big hurdle, is that one. Thirdly, it means making God's priorities our priorities. The aim is not to be committed to church as an end in itself. The aim is to be committed to the mission of God in the world of which the church is God's servant. In other words, our life together, worshipping God, is supposed to overflow in love to the world around us, challenging sin and injustice, bringing healing, sharing the gospel, making disciples. Because right at the heart of discipleship, right at the heart of following Jesus, is mission. I guess that's why we're thinking about the warm space. Not because it would be nice to use the church a bit more. Not just because people are cold, although people are cold. We want to welcome people with the love of God. And the generosity of God. And the hospitality of Jesus. So if we want to test out the promises, here are three things. We need to seek God on his own terms, not ours, because we love and trust him. Secondly, we need to seek him together and deal with the things that damage our relationships with each other. And third, we need to be agents of God's mission in the world. What does that mean for us as a church community? What does that mean for me? Trust God is stirring our hearts with the application he wants. So let's just take a moment or two in silence to respond to him.